Hello and welcome to Crime Time FM. I'm Paul Burke and I write about crime fiction. Today my guest is Emma Horton. Some of you may know of Emma because she's an author of young adult fiction and also non-fiction. But The Dark is her first adult thriller. Set in the Antarctic, Dr. Kate North arrives there to discover one dead body, 12 suspects and 24-hour darkness. It's a twisty psychological thriller and Emma admits she wouldn't last very long in the Antarctic herself. But before we get to that, we'll chat about her book. Hello and welcome to Crime Time FM, Emma. Nice to speak to you. And you. Thank you very much for inviting me. No problem at all. Um, right. I think we'll start with a bit of background, if you don't mind. I mean, you're a very experienced author, but I'm just wondering, is it always sort of exciting when a new book is launching? I mean, and you are, are you a bit nervous about this one because it's an adult book? Yes, well, each book is always exciting in its own way. Right. But yes, this, this being a debut as an adult crime thriller is sort of extra special in that respect. You know, a lot of my time and effort and heart has gone into it. So you're always a little bit nervous about how it will be received. Yeah. How about we start with some background then? Because um, as we just said, you know, this is your first adult book. You've actually, uh, you're a very well-known young adult author. Um, so people will know you from that. But um, what, where did the passion for writing come from for you? I mean, I get the feeling oh. actually that you're a creative person and that this is sort of a strand of that. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think that'd be fair. I mean, I, I think I always wanted to be a writer, but I never thought, just just couldn't imagine it was something I'd be able to pull off. Mm. So I became a journalist after university. I did English at university, so I've always loved books and literature. Right. And then I became a journalist and wrote all sorts of articles and ended up writing quite a lot of travel articles for, mm. for the national newspapers. And so that gave me an outlet for creativity and then actually my first ever book was a picture book when I had right. young children I knew some picture authors near me so I had a crack at a picture book and that came out with trans world and then I started writing young adult novels started down that route and got in really enjoyed the sort of pace and intrigue of the thriller format okay yeah we'll have a look at that a little bit then but before we do um it does it sort of follow then that you your books sort of aged with your children in it? I suppose it did a bit, actually, yes. I mean, I think I think that happens a lot with writers. You write, write for the audience you've got around you. Yeah. So uh, I think that's probably quite a common trajectory for some writers. I assume writers, you've got anyway. a fairly good critical audience there as well because children tell you straight away <laughs> when they don't like something, <laughs> don't they? Well, I'm going to out some of my kids here. My daughter's <laughs> read all my books. I don't think my three sons have ever read a single one, actually. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, not she's great. I mean, she's always one of my first readers, so she's absolutely fantastic. But my son's just sort of not really. I don't know. Maybe they have. Maybe they have read them. Yeah, they really maybe. hate them. <laughs> They just don't want or, to or they just me. don't want to say how much they like them. <laughs> <laughs> you never know with kids, do you? I mean, how important is it to have a hinterland then? Because you talked about, well, you didn't talk much about it, but you mentioned that you're a journalist, you know, as well. Um, I mean, do you think that and sort of having a career is essential to a writer, sort of rounding off as a, your writing career? If you, I, I think, I think starting as a journalist just gave me a confidence about 
how to put a piece together. Because writing a longish article is no different, in a sense, to writing a novel. You've got to structure things through and lead the reader through the piece. I think you you can obviously learn to do that without having a journalist background. But I think think that's why a lot of journalists do end up as novelists, because they practice Mm. that sort of path that you take through, say, an article. Uh, but on, in a novel, it's just in a much larger scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose the thing about it is with a journalist is you've got to get those essential points, haven't you? And yeah, yeah. the novel is actually then it's the skill of actually making that readable for people, making that something that gets exciting yeah. points. It's, and, you, learn, you have to learn how to keep people interested, and that's as true for a short news article as it is for a novel, is how yeah. do you get people from, you know, right from the first few words and get them to read through to the end. That that's that's just an essential thing that you you have to learn. Not that we always succeed, but we hope that that <laughs> happens. <laughs> no, well, it, ob- it obviously does work. Um, it just struck me that um, before we move on to dark, because we, we will talk about the dark. Sorry, we'll talk about your novel. Of course, we will. Sure. Um, but I was wondering about you. You mentioned thrillers there, and I think it sort of comes back to that answer you just gave. But but why thrillers and why young adult? Well, I, the, the, how I got into a young adult novel was was a, a case that really intrigued me. It was a French guy called Frederick Bourdain who impersonated yeah. missing teenagers. And I, I read an art, a long-form article, I think it was in one of the Sunday newspapers, and I was just so intrigued about the psychology behind that and also the situation itself, you know, you families welcoming back their son and then mm. slowly realizing that oh maybe it's all is not as it seems and i think we we are all programmed to love a good intriguing mystery or situation i think it's human mm. nature and i think thriller writers get to indulge that most more than any other kind of writer because we love just piecing together the clues and guessing what's happening and trying to read into people's real motives and so mm. on. And what about the young adult thing? I mean, is it because of the age of the characters then? Or I don't, Why did I choose young it's... adult? I suppose because I was immersed in that world because my mm. children were reading those books and I used to read aloud to them quite often, so I was I was reading quite a few. And I think, I mean, this sounds terrible, but I think I thought they would be easier <laughs> writing yeah. an adult novel, which, of course, isn't true at yeah. all. So how fact, long was you it know, Somewhat you harder in some respects because you've got all sorts of problems. If, if your main character is only 13 or 14, how do you give them agency in a novel? Mm-hmm. How can they escape from the parental or school control and solve a mystery? So actually, you've made life an awful lot harder for yourself. But in my head, I just thought, oh, well, it would be easier <laughs> to write for a younger audience, you know. And then found yourself disabused of that idea very quickly, no doubt. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'm curious because it's I'm sort of asking out of ignorance in one sense. Um, I mean, my generation... We didn't have young adult novels, in a sense. You know? No, we didn't. I mean, they just um, didn't really. This did they when we were younger? No. I, I was really thinking about that this morning. I was thinking about we had Stigger the Dump, and we had, um, but we had one called Emil and the Detectives, which bizarrely that was, was about it. It just didn't yeah. exist as a genre, did it? Really. And, and the then, curious yeah. thing is, many adults now only read young adult literature. It's, it's I don't say they get stuck, but they, they actually prefer it. 
to I have noticed that, yeah. I suppose I mean, that's I mean, 30-year-olds are still obsessed with Harry Potter. I mean, well, I mean, I don't blame them. Fantastic series of books. But mm. it's interesting that it's now completely accepted. Well, in fact, J.K. Rowling really made that a thing, didn't she? They put a different cover yeah. on. They did, yeah. An adult-looking cover so that people yeah. could read the books without being embarrassed on the tube. <laughs> So she she introduced that idea that you know, fully fledged adults would actually read young adult novels. But. I think for me, once I moved on from those sort of really junior books, it was more the classics. Then you know, it was Robin. I went straight into Agatha Christie. Dark, um, I think when I was nine, you know, right. I'm, and I remember reading 1984 when I was about twelve. You you just jumped straight into that world yes. of adult books, didn't you? Yes. So which uh, I think was a mixed blessing because I think. You don't understand at nine or 12. You, you really don't understand what you're reading about in terms of the sort of emotional level of the lives of the characters. I mean, I remember reading Jane Austen at school and just thinking, I just don't, you know, this is just dreadful. What's this about? But but it took me till I was, about, you know, 30 before I properly understood the nuances it's and the what nuance. was happening. Because yes. I needed a lot more emotional maturity. Yeah. To, yeah, to no, enter that world fully, yeah, yeah. But it just struck me. I was I was looking at the blurb for um, Better Left Buried, and it, it runs: brother dead, best friend missing, house ransacked, stalked by a, tra- a stranger, attacked in the street, and that could easily be the scenario of an adult novel, just as much. I it? know, I know, it could be, couldn't it? It could be. It just so happens. I think. I think in the book, she's about. 17 so some so not very young on the brink of adulthood I suppose. so now that you've written uh, the dark which is your first adult thriller what's the difference then you know what what was it about writing that in, in the way you, you wrote it what what makes it different oh my goodness what's the difference to, to be honest actually not a great deal right <laughs> You, you've just got more freedom to address your audience as right. adults. And, and, well, the biggest difference is you can swear a lot more, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm honest. You don't, <laughs> you don't have to mind your P's and Q's quite so much. <laughs> there isn't a great deal of difference. No. I mean, I think you slightly presume a longer attention span mm. in an adult, and the way you describe things you assume that your readers have an understanding of adult roles and relationships that perhaps you wouldn't mm. in a YA novel, but essentially it, it's virtually the same. Are there any issues around sort of resolution or morality? You know, I mean, do you feel a sort of moral responsibility more with a young adult book? Or Definitely do. I definitely would be very reluctant to write a particularly bleak mm novel for that age group but I think actually the influence has been the other way around I feel that I mean I read a lot of crime novels where where the endings are very bleak but I think Mm. in a way now I'm sort of conditioned to tie things up more happily and and give a a a nicer resolution to things it's probably a (laughs) habit I should break because I'm quite bleak in my my you know my ideas about the world but somehow they don't go into my novels <laughs> well the novel's quite dark um but it does well no let's not talk too much about endings shall we um but no um I think the thing is it's the times as well you know and people are, people are often looking for resolution they want something yeah. that, that 
is entertaining, but at the same time gives them a sense of comfort in a sense. And I, I want to get on to those th- issues a little bit. I think also it's about character growth. I think mm. possibly YA gave me a, a very concentrated focus on what the character learns and grows oh, through the experience so that they're a different person at the end of the novel than they were where they went in. I think possibly that you could say that comes from a YA yeah, background. Right. No, I suppose, actually, that's very interesting. I never thought of it quite like that. But, of course, your most, most of your character development happens in those years, doesn't it? I mean, it's the most dramatic development in your life is those years. But, of course, with the thriller, what you do is you actually put the character into an extreme situation, and that's where you get a sense of the character's development. That's that, right. And I've always written first person, so that's how I like to write, to be in a character's head. So I I want to sort of go through the reader, how they change, what they learn about themselves through the Mm. whole experience of the events and what sort of person that turns them into at the end. Yeah. So, well, I think that's a good point, actually, to tell people about the dark. Well, it's it's the whole narrative is um, written through the character of Kate North, which is ironic since she goes to the extreme south. <laughs> but uh, she's Kate North, and she is a medical doctor, and she's been through quite a harrowing, traumatic experience, which we don't learn about until later in the novel. Mm-hmm. So she's got her own reasons for choosing to go out literally to the ends of the earth and spend a year on one of the most hot hostile environments on the planet yes and uh yes it's all about what she finds out when she gets there you know things aren't quite what she's been told and so on what she discovers and how all those events play out yeah i mean she's replacing um a previous doctor who died in in an accident yeah yes so um and she starts to investigate that just wondering when was this actually written i mean there's there's it's an either or kind of question in a sense did you write this with covid actually occurring or, no 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 right before yeah it, so, it was sparked by i what i was watching i used to i i don't know if it's still on anymore but i used to look, watch a lot of the horizon documentaries and they right. did one on the halley ice station which is the british antarctic yes, right. survey yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's quite extraordinary. It's like these sort of blue and red segments. Or it looks mm. like a giant caterpillar. Yeah. And that was out on the Brunt Ice Shelf. And, and they just went through not only the building of the station, but the kind of life the crew had. And they mentioned that they're in total darkness for, for a significant mm. portion of the year and you can't get a plane in and out. And it, I just thought, well, what if something happened, you know? Wouldn't that be an extraordinary location for a thriller? Because you can't get out. You're literally yeah. stuck there. Yeah. I will have a look at that. But I was just wondering from a reader perspective then, with COVID, the way things are, just said you can't get out. That's the point. You think people... Uh, might get a better sense of the claustrophobia. I'm not, you know, this is not good. That's a really good point. Yeah. I just wonder. I guess so. We're all living in a nice station now, aren't we? (laughs) Yeah. To some extent, we are, aren't we? (laughs) Yes. That being cooped up with people for a long time and a lot of couples thrown together where they would have been out of work and now they're all day, other members of the family. I think people would have more insight now about how tempers can get frayed and things blow out of proportion and so on. Yep. It's difficult to live in close proximity in a small space with people for 
any length of time, really. Yeah, well, I think that's one of the things that the book makes you think about. I'm pretty sure after this, even without the things that happen, <laughs> that I would not be able to do this myself, you know. I think uh, it, it requires... Go out on an ice station. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't pass the psychological out. test. I couldn't <laughs> tell you, they'd be like, no way. You'd last two days, love. <laughs> so I'm gathering from that then that really the location came before the plot. I was curious about this as to which way round it was. because It was definitely the location in this instance. I just was watching this Horizon programme and I just thought, oh, my God. God, you know, think of all the things that could go wrong. And then when I started looking into it, indeed, mm. you know, there have been some extraordinary incidents out on right. out on real ice stations. My, my ice station is fictional, but on real mm. ice stations, there's some there's some guy who had, I think it was a cook attacked someone with a claw ha- hammer, and another ice station they had to lock someone in the storeroom for months on end because they just got <laughs> so far. And then I think there was a stabbing a couple of years ago on a oh, Russian right. station, some ridiculous argument that ju- about nothing. Yeah, and just blew and up. And just into, stab- yeah. stabbed the other one. And medically as well, being some extraordinary things. Like one woman had to treat her own breast cancer. Oh, she was she was a doctor out on the station, yeah. realised she'd developed breast cancer and had to treat it because they couldn't get her off the station for months. And... Some time ago, I mean, many decades ago, a Russian doctor had to take out his own appendix, had to operate on himself in the ice station and remove his appendix. Blimey. I hadn't realised that. I'd heard of that kind of thing once before during the Vietnam War. You know, the, the really? Vietnamese soldiers used to hide in these tunnels and the Americans oh had to God. chase them into the tunnels. But um, Terrifying. they do operations and all sorts down there. You know, really? I did hear about oh, a doctor God. who had to operate on himself after being shot down there, yeah. Oh, Lord. Oh. They're thinking about it. <laughs> that must be great. <laughs> it's difficult enough going to the dentist without thinking about operating on yourself. Oh, don't get me started on dentists. <laughs> I've had an appointment just before I went to France, and I've got to have some complicated gum stuff. Oh, and, right. uh I said to me, I'm just going to have to be sedated. I'm just not going to be able to do it. <laughs> just, am I really? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Basically, you don't want me fully conscious. You really don't. <laughs> right, look, I apologise for bringing that one up then. But, um, <laughs> the one thing about this is it's great. I mean, it's a unique setting. Um, and there's really, it's so incredible to find a, lo- a unique location, isn't it? You must have been thrilled with that. I, I, do you know, I could not believe, I thought the first thing I did was get onto the internet and thinking, well, this is a no-brainer for a thriller. And thought, well, I'm sure other people are doing it. And there were, I mean, I think there was one, there was some, oh, one that was about 20 or 30 years, a famous author whose name, of course, I can't now remember. But I was surprised that given particularly the sort of trend for locked, locked room or locked in thrillers that... Mm-hmm. You know, somebody hadn't let oh. on this. I mean, Alistair McLean did one, and there's been a couple up. That's there. right, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah but those about... those were sort of political thrillers in a sense, you know. They, yeah. That's very much political thrillers, in fact. That's exactly yeah. what they were. You know, Russians and Americans in the Cold War. And that's yeah. Right. So, quite a different thing. Um, but given that the location is is um, so important, I mean, it, what it does also, of course, is it sets the atmosphere for the novel. Um, yes. It's a... It's, you. I get the sense from the way you write about it of, of the beauty of it, but at the same time, the absolute terror. I mean, 
the greatest power in the novel, in a sense, is nature, isn't it? Because yes. these people are all at that mercy. But tell us a little bit about the things that play into the book, you know, the altitude and, and the, as you said, the 24-hour day and night thing. I think well, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's one of the most hostile environments on Earth. I think temperatures right. can drop as low as minus 80 Celsius. And so extraordinarily cold. You die, mm. you die in minutes if you weren't thoroughly protected by many, mm. many layers of clothing. And it's also dark for up to six months a year, depending the closer to the pole you get. It's just solid darkness mm. for half the year and solid daylight for the other half. So it's an extraordinary harsh environment on the psyche where your circadian rhythms go to whack and, mm. you know, your body starts really suffering, even with lamps and whatever else you can do to offset it. You know, all, all your all your bodily systems go haywire. In a sense, mm. and people stop sleeping properly. Their appetite goes out of control. So very physically hard, even within the cocoon of an ice station. And outside it, well, nature is the biggest killer. You know, nature is the one that's going to murder you faster than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. What it does, though, is it plays brilliantly into the psychology. Because I'd say this is very much a psychological thriller, isn't it? But yeah, of course. Yeah. Because a lot of it, um, it's not so much about physical clues. It's about the attitude of the characters. And yeah. Kate winds up sort of exploring what might have happened at the, the ice station before she arrived. And it's, it's everybody's attitude that gives her a clue. Yes. And but, they're, they're obviously quite traumatized by what, mm, what's yeah. happened yes. off stage before she arrives. And they put on a good front at first, but you know gradually people show themselves and she starts to question people's versions of events mm. so how i'm interested in the research here as well because i think there's more than one aspect to this and you started to tell us about the horizon program you know so that gives you an idea of the place um but then you've also got to understand the climate and you've got to understand how everything Absolutely. most important of all of course is understanding how this does have this effect on people so tell us yes. a little bit about the research you did for the novel. Well, there's an awful lot of it. <laughs> I, mean, <not> <laughs> I thought there might be. It. I really did. But the good thing is it's such an extraordinary experience that many, many people who do one of these year stints on an ice station, particularly people who are termed overwinterers, the ones that st the skeleton crew that stays out over the winter. In summer, there's many, many more scientists and so on flown in to do experiments and so on. But in the winter, there will tend to be quite a small crew just keeping the station going. Mm. So people tend to write a lot about, they write books, they write blogs, they, they make video logs. So there's, there actually is a wealth of first-person accounts of what it's like to rock up in this environment, how it changes you, right. you know, the impact on it on you as you go through winter. So that, I'm, you know, I was extraordinarily lucky that I could access so much of that online. And a lot of the ice stations have first-person accounts from mm. different crew mm. members describing their jobs and so on. I think the hardest aspect was knowing things. Like, one of the things I found really tricky is working out exactly what the light conditions would be at different times of the day, at different right. times of the right. year in that exact location. Because you've got to remember, Antarctica is huge. 
huge. So things de- differ enormously at the pole than they do, say, right on the coast. So getting accurate information and, and being a former journalist, you know, I get I get a little hung up on that. I don't want to make any mistakes if I can <laughs> avoid it. But but sort of understanding it from that well was very challenging you know, because yeah. I haven't actually yeah. ever been there. So it's surprising how difficult it is to find out things like what date the first and last planes would go out. You've got to trawl through, compare it to other ice stations near the one where, you know, the fictional location for mine and try and work it out as accurately as you, as you can. I see, yeah. So that is quite complicated. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. And I'm sure someone who's been out there will be going, mm, not entirely sure that's quite right, but I don't want to know. Don't write in and tell me. I'm the sort of person who'll wake up <laughs> at three in the morning thinking, oh, no. <laughs> you get those people who write to you and say, you know, you got this wrong. Not yet. Not yet, because <laughs> it's not published yet. But as soon as I just hope that people just give me a bit of poetic license, really. Yeah, I, I, I... Uh, it's not a problem, I'm sure. It feels incredibly authentic anyway. Um, so as a reader, you know, you, you certainly, you get immersed in the world you create. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that research is really, really important. But, of course, it doesn't overburden, you know. The thing as well is you've got to be very careful about how you make that research slot in, haven't you? So it does. It all seems to fit very nicely within the context of it. And that, that's a, that must be a, a real skill is actually making sure that you give people the information, but at the same time, it mustn't show, I suppose, is the point with research, isn't yeah. it? it has to be very you have careful. to think very I'm very concerned about pace in my novels. That I, I I am the sort of reader given too much description tends to sort of just flit onto the next paragraph to see if something's <laughs> happening. And I think actually that's where a background in YA really helps. Right. Because you just cannot be with teenage attention spans, they've got so many other things they should or want to be doing right. you know, on their phones. You just can't afford to linger on lovingly worded descriptions of things. Mm. You've just literally got to try and give enough to give context and then get straight into the meat of the various hooks or action that you're going to be using. Right, so, yeah, so it really does impose a discipline then. Yeah, I think mm. so. And so although there was an awful lot I wanted to get across, I tried to do it in a way that didn't slow down the novel too much in terms of plot development and action and so on. Tell us a little bit about Kate then, because I know we can, I, we sort of only can hint at certain things, Yeah. but Kate's state of mind plays into the story. Then, as I said, it's a psychological story because um, the state of mind of the other people is how she starts to pick up on, something's not right at this ice station. But just tell us a little bit about Kate. I mean, the fact that she's a doctor is is very useful because it gives her that access, doesn't it? Yes. She's a very kind, conscientious person who's been through quite a traumatic experience. And in some way, by going out to Antarctica, she's trying to flee her own demons. But, of course, they just follow her out there. (laughs) <laughs> sort yeah. of haunt her there instead. So, um, I, I mean, I really liked her. I thought she was very conscientious, very wanted, wanting to help people out, wanting to get to the bottom, a, a, a strong sense of duty, but fragile in her own way. I, I always think some of the best characters have a vulnerability and a fragility. Yeah, absolutely. Least, well, 
at least in the kinds of novels I like. Yeah. yeah. No, and it does, it, it adds another layer to the novel because you yeah. have to, she has to then question herself about some of the things yeah. she finds out, you know. There's much- a lot of self-doubt operating yes. there, yeah. which is exacerbated by the attitudes of people around mm. her. In some ways, she's not in a great place psychologically to offset a sort of nastiness or coldness or mm. so on that she do- does encounter on the ice station. So in a sense, one, one of her her growth arcs in the novel is to learn to stand her own ground. And, you know, I hate that phrase, speak, speak your truth. But <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm what you mean. I'm going to throw that in there anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, those, like, those phrases, they, they do kind of encapsulate what, what you mean uh, in those situations. Yeah. Um, so all these things play into the mystery and I mean, would you just, I said about it as being a psychological thriller, but it's also, it, it relies on this kind of classic, uh, country house mystery kind of thing, if you like, you know, yes. it's that it's the locked, the lockdown kind of situation. Is there a sort of an homage there? You mentioned Agatha Christie earlier about, you know, that was your sort of starting point. I'm just wondering, although I think your stuff is darker. I don't know if you describe it as that, but it's a bit darker. Do you think it's an interesting? Do you know, I'm I'm going to completely out myself and everyone, writers and readers, and hate (laughs) me. I read that Agatha Christie when I was nine, and and it had a title that we now can't say and has since been changed. I'm I'm not going to say it. And I just thought, nah, don't like this. (laughs) I've never read another Agatha Christie (laughs) yet. (laughs) Since because I, I just, but I've watched a few of the adaptations on TV, and actually, it's just not really my cup of tea. I find mm. them a little bit. Oh God, I'm no, I'm not going to say it. It's just, I'm now going to be ostracised by the crime community. <laughs> you do, you do know this. Yeah, and my that's, agents that's done that. make it more Agatha Christie like, and I'm like, I don't like Agatha Christie. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible, terrible admission. You better not put it on the podcast. I'll be, I'll be hounded. <laughs> Let's change the subject quickly then so we don't get to that. Um, yeah, well, actually, I'm wondering, you know, are you going to get a chance to promote the book properly? Because of the way things are, I mean, are things getting a bit better? You got a chance to do an event or two? Well, I mean, Harrogate happened. I didn't go along, but it no, happened. I, didn't go I think things are slowly opening up, but who knows? They could sl- mm. very quickly close down again. So a lot of stuff is being done online, which suits me because, I mean, I'm out in the West Country, so it's not actually mm. very easy for me to get around. And uh, so I'm quite happy to do online events. But when will everything get back to normal? Who knows? Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> Well, I hope you do get a chance to get a couple of events in your belt, though. You know, just a few things. Yeah, I would enjoy it. I'd enjoy it very much. I mean, I haven't been to a. I did a couple of stints at Edinburgh with the YA books, which I enjoyed enormously. So, yeah. No, I was thinking. I mean, particularly for debut authors, you know, I feel very sorry for them when they're releasing these books and they're sort of they just kind of vanish in some senses. You know. Oh, I know. At least I don't have a launch party. (laughs) That's my (laughs) idea of a nightmare. I can't say to my followers, haven't got any friends, really. <laughs> Most of my family are dead or not speaking to me. My children don't care. <laughs> Who would come? Just me. <laughs> my agent, <Right>. maybe. 
Oh, fair <laughs> enough then. Well, that's that was, that's a bit. <laughs> What's next then? Because I know we started this off air, and you said to me, you know, um, I'm actually on my next project, and I can appreciate for writers. There's this thing about your your mind is somewhere else, if you like. Um, so, what are you working on? Is it another adult novel or? It's another adult novel. Right. Um, it'll be the second book published by Hodder. And they wanted something, again, in an interesting environment. So I thought, hmm, that's probably <laughs> the rainforest or the desert. I thought, well, I've never been to the rainforest, but I have been to the desert. I'm on those snakes and things like that. So, <laughs> well, that's where my head is now, in a desert in, in Mexico. <laughs> right. Okay. They're not going to tell us what it's about, just that it's in Mexico. It's about somebody who finds themselves in a rehab centre set in the Mexican desert and all the shenanigans that okay. ensue when she we'll let, we'll let people get used to the dark first and let them do that. <laughs> so, um, it's like, I would like to say the polar opposite, but I'm sure it's not actually polar. <laughs> but I see what you mean. Probably sort of. Temperature-wise, it? it's oh, different. Yeah, very, very different, yeah. And um, I'm just wondering, is there a book you'd recommend, something you've read recently that really struck you? I read I mean, do you Girl get much a. time for reading? Well, not as much as I would like, and I'm mm. quite often beta reading for other writers. So, right. so for my own pleasure, not, not a great deal of time, mm. actually. What am I... What am I reading at the moment? Let me just cast my mind back. Oh, it's gone out of my head. I read Girl at A recently, very much enjoyed yeah. that. Although I wouldn't really describe it as a crime novel exactly, but mm. I thought it was beautifully written. Oh, I'm reading Finders Keepers by Sabine Durant, who I think is a right. wonderful writer. I mean, beautiful description. I also very, very much like the Nikki French one set in the the woman who goes to prison, and the title is now escaping me. Yeah, no, um, I can't remember the title either, to be honest. thought that was good. But I tend I'll put a note on there. I, I tend to listen on Audible because mm, I sort of right. to be doing something else with my hands at the same time, so I tend to listen to books on Audible. I really enjoy hearing them narrated. I'm pretty much coming to the end now. I just wondered, though, I, I think this would make a perfect piece of television or a film. Really? Yeah, I think so. Why not? I think we had we had inquiries about the film right some time ago when when it was first announced. I I don't know when I don't think we're actually close to having an no, option. Right. Well, everything's been so much up in the air recently, anyway, yeah. with the COVID situation, hasn't it? But, uh... but if you know anyone, put in a good word. <laughs> that'd be great. Well, if there's anybody listening, right, Emma would like <laughs> to hear from you. <laughs> Emma, that's been fascinating. Thank you very much for chatting with us. And thank you. Thank you very much indeed. A really big thank you to Emma for that. That was a lovely interview. Thank you also to everyone for listening to Crime Time FM. We'll be back shortly with another interview. But for the meantime, bye for now.